Hey, loyal Brew Hoop listeners, just a quick note before we get started here today. Uh, recording session ran a smidge long. Uh, we started had a really fun segment with uh, Mitchell Maurer, co-managing editor of Brew Hoop, made his debut on the revamped Brew Hoop podcast with Riley and I. Uh, we'll get to that in a minute, but I uh, just want to let you know that we'll break that up and there will be part two running on Monday. But make sure you stick around to the end of this episode. Uh, we had an awesome chat with Gabe Stoltz, our, our guy who's usually the man on the street at these Bucks games. And he went to the Pfizer Forum, both when the Killers opened it up at their concert the other night and for the block party. And he'll give you some great details on what to expect for when you head out to games there. So stick around, strap in, and, and thanks again for listening as always. of old Milwaukee was a young boy walking. Hello and welcome to yet another episode of the Brew Hoop podcast. We continue to trudge on through this interminably long offseason. Um, if there's football fans out there, I guess you're getting a slight respite from the the doldrums of July and, and August. But uh, you know, we're basketball fans here and that's really what matters to us. And uh, as per usual, I'm, I'm joined by Riley Feldman, but uh, we have a newcomer to the Brew Hoop cod pa- podcast, uh, but certainly not a newcomer to Brew Hoop. It's uh, my co-managing editor, Mitchell Maurer. Mitchell, how are you doing tonight? How do you feel making this uh, this debut and speaking speaking to the masses? They've heard you elsewhere, but how's it feel to be here? No, they have heard me elsewhere. It feels great to be back on the Brew Hoop podcast after a very, very, very long uh, hiatus from this being a live show, uh, not live, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm thrilled to see that the, uh, the brew hoop feed is up and running again. This is great. It's great for the site. Great for our readership. Uh, and what else does the internet need more than an additional bucks focused podcast? Yeah. Yeah. But just more podcasts in general. I think there's um, certainly a dearth of those out there. Riley, Riley, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing all right. It's a uh, balmy mid 70s up here in uh, Minneapolis, so we've uh, been enjoying early September, but doing well. Thank you. Good. I'm not even going to describe the scene at uh, my apartment. Um, that was off air. Okay, so <laughs> I think um, I, you know we have a, an important exercise tonight, um, going through a lot of the Bucks roster. But I want to start this thing off by you know imagine you're down in a boat underneath a mountain and um, you're with a creature. Ooh. who has something for you. And that creature happens to be named Mitchell Maurer. And uh, Mitchell, I'd like you to lay this on our listeners. All right. So I'm definitely not going to do my Gollum impression here because I haven't worked on it and it isn't good. <laughs> and we have very high expectations here on the Brew podcast. But here it is for your listeners. I have a riddle for you. And Riley and Adam can take a crack at it as well. So here it is. If I'm too low, it's not a challenge. But if I'm too high... It isn't fair. You can meet me, but cannot shake my hand. I weigh you down, though I'm lighter than air. What am I? Are you a rainbow? Oh, I wish I was a rainbow, but no. Are you an invisible limbo bar? That that actually makes a lot of sense, but no. That's <laughs> not the answer. All right. Uh, okay, I'm stumped then. I'm terrible at riddles. Riley, you want another crack at it or no? Um, is it the height of DJ Wilson's hair? <laughs> Ooh, again, that's also a good suggestion, but no. The answer, <laughs> gentlemen, the answer is expectations. Ah, expectations. Okay. okay. Uh, right. And I'm, I'm going to use a little bit of corporate speak, so everybody that's commuting to their office job now might appreciate this. Um, but I also happen to believe this just as a person as well, so... At the very least, I haven't fully sold out, just mostly sold out to corporate America. Um, But on the real, expectations are hugely important in all facets of life. I mean, think about it. Even when you're a kid and your parents tell you, you need to do this so that you can do that. The expectation is that if you do X, that you get Y. And that follows through to school, to the workplace and everywhere else, and it does follow to sports, basketball, players at all levels, need expectations in order to thrive. Um, you, you need to set clear, realistic goals so that you have something to aim for. I would say that the vast majority of people, there's some people that can thrive in a looser environment, but the vast majority of people work better 
will improve more and be more efficient with however they try to develop themselves and evolve themselves for whatever their craft might be. In this case, we're talking about NBA basketball players. If they have something to work towards, if they have a goal to work towards. Now, for somebody like, say, Giannis, that goal might be something really tangible, like, I don't know, winning most valuable player for a season. That's something that you can work towards. But the league isn't made up of a thousand Giannis Adetokounmpo's. Thank goodness. There's only one, and we have him. But there's a ton of other players out there, and they all need realistic expectations for themselves. So when I originally reached out to Adam and Riley to, uh, to guest on the Brew Hoop pod, I wanted to talk a little bit about expectations for players on the Bucks for this season. Yeah, and I think that's a perfect preamble to get into us obviously going through the expectations that Mitchell laid out. So do you guys want to start with the quick hitters at the bottom of the roster, or do you want to go right into the meat of it? Um, I think we could get some of the people, some people towards the bottom of the roster out of the way. Uh, I don't think we're going to spend too much time on people that are on the bubble, so to speak. All right, let's do it. Okay, so let's start with, um, all right, let's start with Matthew Delvadova. Ooh. seemingly <laughs> uh, 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 much maligned in the ranking the roster series so far on Brew Hoop, yet managing to hold on uh, by a thread um, somehow has survived the first couple cuts. But, uh, you know, what do you guys have? What do you guys have for initial expectations for what you hope for Matthew Delvadova in this his third year of that delightful contract? Uh, I don't know. Um, I guess you would hope for a slightly better statistical season than what he had last year. Um, and I can try and pull up the per game averages, but I think he averaged about 18 minutes a game, uh, something like 4.3 points, 3.8 assists, 1.3 turnovers, et cetera. So, I mean, as close to bottom of the barrel of sub rotation uh, point guard production as you can expect. He also led the team in assist percentage, but also in turnover percentage. So I, is, I'm not sure what would be a good season for Matthew Delvadova. Try to not be noticed. Um, it would be ideal if he was replaced by somebody else on the roster who could step up as the second guard. But um, just keep on keeping on, I guess. More grit. It seems like we don't get nearly that many really, like defensive highlight plays, which was like what got him paid from coming off of Cleveland. So uh, maybe a couple more defensive highlight plays, but... Uh, since he's on the bubble and at the bottom of the roster, it's tough to gauge what exactly a good season would be, especially since he's going to come nowhere near matching the production for the you know amount of money he's being paid for the year. Sure. Yeah, that's his contract essentially is a sunk cost at this point. If the Bucks are able to move off of it, that would be a boon because generally speaking, a replacement level point guard would probably, for replacement level money, would probably be equal, if not a slightly better impact than Delhi has been on the Bucks, especially last season. Um, if we want to put expectations on, on the players in terms of what would be a good year for them, I think this would be a good year for Delhi to understand that he is not the focal point of the offense and he needs to work off ball more. Um, one, of, one of our longtime commenters, Old Resorter on Brew Hoop, uh, has long, for at least a couple of weeks now, if not longer, has made the observation that he feels that Della Vadova plays in the NBA a lot like he's practicing for the Australian national team, where he has to be the focal point and he has to be the one to initiate the offense and make things work. Uh, which, sure, for the Australian national team that doesn't have as much talent as most NBA rosters, that might be the case. But if he is going to try to be ball dominant and lead the team in both assist and turnover percentage, uh, maybe he should stop doing that. So I would actually like to see, I would love to see those two percentages that you mentioned, Riley, go down. I'd like to see his usage go down. I'd like to see him spotting up from the arc more, um, hopefully with more shooting on the roster, which uh, they're going to place around Giannis that might give Delhi just enough clearance to, to load up that musket and shoot his shot from behind the line more often, which is really, I don't, I don't see any other way that he can be a successful NBA player. Like we're at the point with Delhi that if he didn't have that guaranteed money, which was a high dollar amount, would he even still be in the NBA? I don't know the answer to that. It's, it's, 
it's a, it's a major question. I think there's enough people out there that would say, no, he wouldn't. So if he wants to establish himself as an NBA player, maybe get another contract after this one runs out, he's got to work off the ball more. Yeah, I mean, I, I it's like kind of hard to really stack anything upon what you guys said already. I mean, and his his numbers haven't been great since he even arrived in Milwaukee. You know, he's he shot far you know worse. But his two seasons that he basically had, where he played pretty well with LeBron, he shot forty point seven percent, forty one percent in his two those two second and third year seasons. Since he's yeah. got to Milwaukee, only thirty six point seven percent, thirty seven point two percent. So even with that ratchet release that he's got, you would have hoped that he could make a few more shots. Yeah. And I mean, you know, his his minutes went down last year. He was at eighteen point seven. He also missed a lot of last year, uh, which I kind of just tended to forget about, even though there was that uh, the <laughs> long stretch with Brandon Jennings and, uh, um, you know, the other people that we happened to trot out at point guard. But yeah, I, I think if, if there's anything that honestly, all I expect for a successful season for Matthew Delvadova is just, just like stay healthy. Like if he's just healthy and we at least have a warm body, like a third guard who can come in and um, is willing to do the kind of stuff that you guys have already said, I think I think that's really all you can expect from a guy who's who you just want to be able to fill in spot minutes, make sure that your roster you don't reveal more holes in the roster by the fact that you're already going down to Delavadova and you have to go if you have to go even further, then you kind of see where the Bucks kind of got into trouble last year when they had to resort to Brandon Jennings and and so on and so forth. So for Delavadova, honestly, all you gotta do is stay healthy, man. That's all you gotta do for me. So uh, so we're really setting the bar high uh, to start here. So let's let's move on to another quick one. Let's. How about the new arrival, Pat Connaughton? What do you What are you guys hoping for him? What do you think, Riley? It's so. Uh, I was listening to the Lockdown podcast. Shout out Lockdown Bucks podcast. Shout out to uh, Frank and Eric. But they were talking about how Pat had played in eighty two games, eighty two games for Portland last season, which I hadn't realized, even though I've you know obviously been pouring over his basketball reference page ever <laughs> since we signed him. Um, I think the idealized role we just discussed for Delhi, where he's the off ball guard where he just kind of posts up in the corner. And if you could, you know, convert threes at a roughly, you know, acceptable rate where, you know, he made 35.2% last year, if you could increase that just, you know, like by a percentage point or two, um, I think that would be super valuable. I don't come in having a lot of expectations. It would be crazy to assume that he would be able to come in and be like, you know, a ball dominant guard or be able to run the offense or anything like that. So I think a, a quick off the bench microwave score would be awesome. Um, I don't expect him to get a lot of rotation minutes, but uh, yeah, I don't, if he can replicate what he did for Portland, which was the best abilities availability and make a couple threes, you can't really ask for much more from pat can you i i definitely don't think so uh i feel like the bar is super low for pat Connaughton, partially because he is signed to a really cheap contract and he signed super late in the summer relative to a lot of his other you know, his free agency peers um but yeah he takes about half of his shots over his career from three-point range um he reportedly is a really good athlete which is good and the fact that he played nearly 1500 minutes for the trailblazers last year and they were a good team in the western conference like that that does speak well to his ability to justify staying on the floor as more than just a floor spacer or a shot taker um so he i don't think he has to do much in order to have a good year um so it really is going to come up come down to making the best of his limited opportunities nobody's going to expect him to be in the rotation to start he might have an excellent camp, an excellent preseason, and might break his way into the rotation. And as a shooter, he certainly will uh, will be able to fill a need on this team. Um, so he's just if he gets off to a hot start, then there's no telling where his season could go, and he might defy all of our expectations, which would be exciting. Yeah, I feel like it, I'm intrigued to see whether his three point shot holds up. I mean, the, the two seasons prior, he had only attempted. Granted, it was he had played in 34 and 39 games, but combined, he only attempted 54 shots. Last year was basically his first time getting up to high volume, 210 attempts from three, 35.2%. So I'm curious if that's a blip or if that's going to hold on. And, if, and I mean, if it's if it sticks to 35.2 or 36.2 on you know a, a relatively decent volume, you know he had 5.1 attempts per 36. I think, I mean, I think that's about all you can ask for the guy. And I, I was like Mitchell said, you know, I mean, the trailblazers weren't anything to sneeze at. Granted, they got wiped out in the playoffs, but 
you know, during the regular season, they were one of the better teams and he was playing in a relatively advanced offense under Terry Stotts. We'll have to see how he manages working off the fact that sort of the, the create the main creator is at the four, as opposed to he's used to sort of working on the wing and the backcourt guys are attracting all the attention. So, you know, I'm not sure how that would shift his thinking or shift his spacing in Bud's offense. Presumably he'd be able to sort of fit into that wing role that Bud's done in the past. But I think for me, it's primarily just seeing if that three point percentage that he shot last year holds up and if that's real or, or whether it might've been a a slight mirage. So, all right, next one, quick hitter. Let's do, let's do John Henson. John Henson. Okay. What does John Henson have to do to have a good year? Mm. Uh, I, I would, I mean, he, he had a pretty good year last year. So even if he just replicates that, that's, that's going to, that's going to be a meets expectations in my book. I mean, I would love, I would truly love for him to play every minute that he gets on an NBA court, like his lifetime line of credit, Chipotle would count on it, <laughs> but he's, he's just, he's so inconsistent like he never has it going when things with the team are good. And then he kind of comes out of nowhere when nobody expects him to come out of nowhere. And he'll like randomly put up a, you know, a double, double night or like 10 points and a half or something like that. Um, I mean, he's, he is what he is. He's been in the league for how many years has he even been in the league at this point? It's been a while for him. I feel like because he seventh season, yeah, seventh season. He's, yeah, he's he's it's not like the oldest me. buck on the roster, but he's like he's like one of the longest tenured, if not for Urson's uh, multiple stops elsewhere before returning, he would be like the longest tenured buck. I think, which is weird because he's yeah. you know, he's not old, but he's like he's reached his ceiling. Like his maybe his ceiling was higher when he was younger, but he just never got there, and now he is what he is. Um, yeah, he's just he's got to repeat what he did last year and just maybe just, just try, just like try all the time. Even if you don't feel like it, that's, that's the best thing I could, that's the best thing I could say at this point. You sound like a, like a middle, like a little league coach. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm practicing. My son's only oh. three and a half. So <laughs> I got time. I got time to, to hone that message. Riley, what do you want from, from John Hanson? I think it really depends depends on what role he ends up taking in the center rotation, especially. So Mm -hmm. for him, I think we're all assuming that Brooke Lopez hopefully ends up being the starter just for schematic reasons and blah, blah, blah. So if he's going to be the backup big, he has to one beat up on, which uh, we could argue should probably not be that hard of a task for him. And then two, as Mitchell was saying, he's super inconsistent, especially when he comes off the bench. He's always seemed to do a lot better when he's in the starting unit for whatever reason. I don't know if that's just like a mental thing for him or what, but if you could provide equivalent amount of production given a lowered minute uh, load for the year, I would say that's probably for the best. And I'm not too worried about him if he doesn't get a lot of minutes because Thon is getting developmental minutes for one reason or another of him turning into a chaos engine uh, and like a locker room breaker. I really don't think that's John's style. Um, and he's making a lot of money to not be a troublemaker. So I don't know. I would just say solidify the rotation big spot, be the reliable guy on the inside in case for whatever reason Bud wants to play that style for you know, a few minutes here or there and don't cause trouble if you're not getting a lot of minutes. Yeah. The, the, that we, sorry, really quick. I want to jump in because it's funny. Just, we have this perspective as fans and as people that kind of cover the team and, and have an investment in the team succeeding. But, but if you were to try to get out of that frame of mind and put yourself in the shoes of the player, like for John Henson to have a good year, doesn't he just have to like stay on the roster and get paid? And isn't that a great year? to get $10 million and just hang out and play basketball sometimes and just kind of go through it easy breezy because nobody else expects him to improve. Like he's, I feel like, like that's like kind of been like the joke for years though. It's just yeah, like, that's, like, that's, that's just true. like what he's, that's just like what he's doing. He's just kind of like riding around and doing his own thing. Occasionally he gets excited. Like when that's true, Matt Barnes wants to yeah. fight him, but <laughs> yeah, Matt was, Barnes retiring was, really was the worst move for John Henson's career. <laughs> you know what? We should, the should hire him. They should bring him on like, as an like assistant coach. coach. Yeah. <laughs> just like fight him before every game. I think yeah. for me, what I, I Riley was sort of got to the root of it for me, which was role. And I think in Bud's offense, which 
hopefully will involve a lot more motion, a lot more passing. Uh, I, I think I'm really intrigued to see if John Henson can fit into that in an in an economical way, in an efficient way. I have gone on the record as being a, a big fan of some of his bounce passes from the high post last year. I think he has some decent passing ability for a big uh, as, as long as he's able to keep his head up and that kind of stuff. So for me, a successful season is, is if he's able to fit into Bud's system in a way that I, I don't really think he's going to be shooting threes, God forbid. But if he's able to keep the keep the ball moving and you know finding guys who are shifting around on on the exterior, guys who are setting screens, maybe it's like Tony Snell or Sterling Brown running around a screen and that kind of stuff. If John Henson is able to find those guys from the inside, uh, I'll find that uh, to be a relatively successful season. Yeah, and the beauty of John, just final note on him is yes, he's totally a finished product, but at least we all have a really good idea of what exactly he can do competently. So yeah. if there yeah. are ways. So that's being being a known quantity, while that's a little boring, that's helpful in its own way as well. So if he can kind of play to those strengths in limited minutes, then that would be a huge plus for us. That's true. All right. Well, let's go on to uh, hotly anticipated DJ Wilson. Uh, I know, Mitchell, we can just sort of clear the floor for this when you had um, you were ready for this. I'm ready. I This is actually the first one that I wrote when I did my <laughs> notes for putting together expectations for the team. If, if I was in any way, shape, or form related – or involved with the Bucks coaching staff, I would put DJ Wilson in a room and sit him down and get a chair and sit across from him, look him right in the eye, and say to him, in order to justify being in this league, I need you to show one NBA-level skill. Just one. Just one skill. Pick one. I don't care what it is. If it's shooting, great. That's super valuable. That might get your third-year option picked up. If it's you know, ball handling because he fancies himself a ball handling forward slash center. Like, okay, that's, that's fine. That's interesting. I guess it's not super helpful, but it's at least something at an <laughs> NBA level. Um, I'm not going to even say rebounding cause that's silly rim protection. Like he's got good length. He's got somewhat decent instincts. Um, he doesn't play with any sort of physicality, but if he's going to be a weak side shot blocker, like that's an NBA level skill. Um, I, he didn't play enough minutes for him to really garner any attempts or chances to pass the ball. So maybe he's going to be a really good passer. I don't know what he's going to be. I do know where he's going to be if he doesn't show a single NBA level skill. And that is out of the NBA and soon because Hachi Machi, he hasn't done anything in any setting since leaving Michigan. Oh, the, the Hachi Machi. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think. You hit the nail on the head. All I really, I think a successful season for DJ Wilson from his perspective is he, he literally just gets his third year option picks up. And because I, I just doubt he's going to make any sort of contributions on the team. So I, I really think like that's the best he can hope for at this point. And I will follow that up. I agree on all the points. And if you get sent to the G League, please just feast on G League, guys. Don't post like really upsetting stat lines night after night. I mean, for God's sake, you are end of the bench material, but it's NBA end of the bench. So at least show you have that commiserate uh, NBA or that level of talent against G Leaguers. All right. From one guy, it's relatively. Oh, that was never mind. I was about to say he's young, but we just drafted him. He's pretty old. Uh, so we're going to get Dante DiVincenzo in here. Uh, Mitchell, what, what are you expecting out of Dante DiVincenzo this year to have a successful season? I, I kind of have similar expectations for him as I do for Pat Connaughton and some other players on the roster that we haven't gotten to yet. I just I want him to take advantage of the opportunities he gets, which may be pretty limited at the beginning, and just show how you're going to persist as an NBA player. Uh, he's probably going to be a, a shooter. Uh, which we've seen from his time at Villanova, and it's definitely a skill that's valued in the league and on this team with Mike Budenholzer aboard and Giannis running things. Um, if he can demonstrate that he is an NBA-level talent, that would be a great year. And it doesn't matter how many minutes, he's just going to make the best of the minutes that he gets. I don't expect him to be a part of the rotation. I don't expect him to necessarily be anywhere near the – rookie of the year conversation or even invited to the all rookie showcase uh, game that they have on all-star weekend. But he just, he needs to show that he belongs. That's it. Very low bar for him. I would agree. Um, And 
it's difficult because we only saw him for 28 minutes, I think, in the summer league. So it's not exactly, we didn't have much to extrapolate off of that. But I would say if you could do something like get the number of appearances that Sterling Brown did last year, which was like 55, I believe. So if you can have like 50-ish appearances, I say that would be good. And then I think it depends on what Bud's approach is going to be. But if we're all assuming that Dante was kind of a Bud-influenced pick, He's probably going to get some throwaway minutes right away at the start of the season, I would predict, just to like prove a point, essentially, or for Bud to prove a point. So if you could take advantage of that, and if you could do something like be a you know more consistent shooting and maybe a little bit more of a better playmaker than, let's say, Matthew Delvadova, who... You know, as we discussed, he was doing a lot of on-ball stuff, but he wasn't like super effective at it. Whereas Dante, he showed a little bit of playmaking ability in college with like his assist uh, rate and things like that. That's obviously not going to mean he should be the lead point guard or like, you know, the lead point guard for the bench unit. But if he could show a little bit of something beyond shooting, uh, especially with the ball in your hands, I think that would be a big plus. So, I mean, the recurring theme so far, obviously, we're at the bottom of the roster, so it's relatively a, a low low bar for all these guys. But are we – I mean, it was a lot of just the obviously franchise speak and organizational speak after Dante was drafted. But one of the things that they talked about was they they basically were like, we want a guy who can what, pass, shoot, dribble, do all those kind of things. Basically, they wanted the equivalent of like a five-tool player. They also drafted him and they thought that he was a little older. And I mean, John Horst said it's tough for a rookie to do this, but they kind of want him to contribute right away. So do you guys, I I mean, obviously we have our own expectations, but are these expectations too low? Do you think, I mean, compared with what the organization might hope? Uh, we might be a little gun shy because of the Bucks track record with drafting in the mid first round. Uh, Giannis mm-hmm. excluded, of course. Um, he just, he just needs to show he's an NBA player in my view. Uh, if he does somehow break into the rotation and let's say he takes Delhi's minutes from last year, like if, if Dante DiVincenzo somehow plays 18 minutes a game instead of Delhi, like I'll be, I'll be floored. I don't expect him to play any more than like 10 to 12 minutes a game, at least during the stretch of the season where the team is competitive. You know, it's a long season. There's lots of things that can happen. I do expect them to be competitive for all 82 but uh, but at least at the beginning, like he's just he's just got to prove that he can hang. If he if he can get off the bench, even at you know towards the end of quarters and at points where you know the game isn't on the line, and just show that he can hang on the floor, like that's enough for me. Yeah, so I mean, for, I I would tend to agree. I'm I'm relatively in line with you guys. I think it's important to see whether some of the traits that he showed at Villanova, which uh, honestly. I, I'm not as I'm not super in love with his individual skills. I don't know if that all that kind of stuff is going to translate, but if he can meld into a team construct, which was seemed to be essentially why they drafted him, is they thought he was an older player who went through a similar sort of egalitarian system in college and was willing to share the ball and, and knew where to take it and, and knew when to drive, knew when to pick his spots. I think if he's able to show he fits into Bud's system in a, in an effective way that also is is coupled with his three point shooting translating at least on some level. I mean, if he shot 34, if he shot 34%, I mean, that would be encouraging at least for me to start. And I'd also like to see if some of the athleticism that he touts is just, just noise or whether it's actually functional. Like I'm very curious to see if, if that kind of stuff is going to translate. So I would say I'd like to see him, some of that athleticism for a successful season be translated slightly functionally, whether it's, even if it's just alley-oops or getting out, helping lead in transition. I know there's some tape from college that uh, he was able to, he gets a steal or whatever, and then he makes a really quick pass up the floor, which I know has been a bugaboo for some guards, Bucks guards who are leading transition breaks. So if he's kind of, if he's able to show just some of those, those basic skills that he flashed in college and like Mitchell said, be an NBA player, then I I think, I think that'll be a successful season for him too. Uh, Anything else on Dante? Try to get that nickname changed. I'm going to keep on that no matter until I die. Change yeah, I'll second, I'll second that. Sake. Uh, all right. So we'll work on that. We'll see if we can come up with a better one. All right. Let's move to the uh, new additions this offseason. Let's start with Ursan Ilyasova. Uh, arrives back um, by way after he spent some time with Bud in Atlanta. Seemingly seemed to be a, a Bud hire. Zach Lowe alluded to that, to the fact, essentially, on his podcast the other day. So... Riley, what are you expecting out of Ursan this year to have a successful year? So first things first, turn out to not actually be 45 years old. Uh, if we could work <laughs> on that, that would be an awesome update right out the gate. 
And then are you starting a birth certificate movement again? Uh, well, we might as well just get it. Get, da- dangerous uh, ground. Abort. 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 <laughs> I take it back. Uh, no, I think an ideal world or what a good season for Ursan with the Bucks would be would be him working his way into the closing lineups, which I think is a distinct possibility depending, one, because he seems to be a bud guy, into his style of play as potentially a small ball five. Um, definitely is interesting and works well with Giannis and could be interesting for like, depending on what the other team, what kind of look they're giving you. But in terms of like stats and things like that, he's been so like consistent with his per game averages for years on years now. So if you could continue at roughly your, you know, career averages, um, that would be gigantic. And I think just being available to offer the team that small ball five, which we haven't really had in, I don't know, ever since the movement kind of began, uh, I think that would be ideal. Yeah, that actually goes pretty closely into where I'm headed with my expectations for Ursan. Because to, to your point, he's remarkably consistent. He plays in you know roughly the same number of games, the same amount of minutes, scores the same amount of points, the same amount of rebounds, takes you know at least one charge every couple of games, which is good. Like He's a useful player. For me, for him to be successful this season on this team, and it has nothing to do with his contract, which a lot of people have issues with. Um, I'm probably a little bit more forgiving of it than most, but I want him to try and match his career high in terms of percentage of number of minutes played at the center position. Do you guys, if you guys want to hazard a guess as to what that percentage is? So, out of 100, out of the whole pie chart for Urson's minutes, what do you think is the highest? Number that he hit for a whole season. 25. Yeah, I was going to say like 20% probably. Yeah, it was actually his rookie year in Milwaukee in 2006. He was at 31%. Wow. He he played 31% of his almost 1,000 minutes at center based on basketball reference, which is super interesting to me. Um, Over the last – Let's see who else was on that team. Yeah. Oh man, that's let's go down that uh, that rabbit hole on a different episode because who boy, who <laughs> boy. Uh, but over the last couple of years, like in 2015-16, he played between Detroit and Orlando. He only played four percent of his minutes at center. 2016-17, it was all the way up to sixteen percent across his time with Philly, Atlanta, and a couple of games in OKC. And then last year it was at seventeen percent with uh, between Atlanta and Philly again. I would love to have him double that and play roughly a third of his minutes as a center. I don't know if that's realistic, and that does you know, edge into the minutes that Brooke Lopez is probably going to get and deserve. Whatever minutes Thon gets, which deserved or not, he's going to get time, but it, is, it remains to be seen how many minutes he'll get over the course of the whole season because it's going to be less developmental and more based on merits, i.e. how much he's you know, actually contributing. Uh, and John Henson, those are all competitors at the center position for minutes with Ursan. But yeah, to Riley's earlier points, like his, you know, cur- the rest of his career is not long. He's not going to play more than the three years on his contract currently, and that's that last one's unguaranteed. But he's, you know, he's got the height. He doesn't have length, but he's got the bulk to handle center, especially as the league gets smaller. It, it just it makes a lot of sense for him to be a small ball five that stretches the floor. Um, he, he's a passable post defender you know he's definitely not a, a switchy center he's not going to keep up with people on the perimeter but he you know he was not going to do that as a power forward either so that's what i want to see from him is where because we know what we're going to get i want to see where we're going to get it from and i would like to see it from the center position more than we've ever seen before so i was just looking at the math so he, if he played like a roughly a third of his minutes it would be around eight minutes a game at center Tack that on to Brooke Lopez at probably around 24, 25. So we're at 32. So it leaves 16 minutes basically for Thon Maker and John Henson. And I don't know, when you think of Ursan at the at the five, it's like you, you, you just don't particularly – is it Giannis is in there probably, and so it's, they're just interchangeable? That, that's kind of the way that I would imagine it. Okay. Um, because you know, Giannis on defense – is historically have been at his best when he can play free safety and he can come in off the weak side mm-hmm. uh, for the block at the rim or if he is able to step into passing lanes whenever the offense tries to make that skip pass, which they think is open, but he's longer than almost every human that's ever existed. So he is far more likely to come away with a steal there. Um, it just it, Four minutes a half, 
makes a lot of, and maybe it's not quite four minutes. You know, maybe it's two or three. Yeah. But th- those are those stretches in games where teams go on those big runs that really shift the balance of a specific contest. And if you string enough of those contests together, then you're putting together a really strong trend with what your team can be about. I mean, this is not that they're, at least this season and possibly ever, not that they're ever going to be on the level of the current Golden State Warriors team, but you know, I, I, I would wonder how much time they spent in the regular season experimenting with Draymond at center and seeing what that unlocked for their team. Um, and I, I think that Ursan could unlock a lot for the Bucks at center, and I really want to see them commit to that experiment, at least early on, to see if it works. Hmm. I I tend to agree with you guys. I'll just be curious to see how Bud would suss out the rest of the center rotation then with 15, 60 minutes between Thon and Henson. I mean, we already said Henson seems fine riding the pine, but I, I don't know. I it, it, I guess it kind of depends how you're balancing those. Uh, the development of Thon, how much if does, will John Henson ever get? I know we said he probably won't ever get unruly, but I feel like at some point you're going to be a little discontent to almost never be playing when you started for a lot of the year prior. Hmm. So I'll, I'll be interested to see that. So I don't have any other revelations for, for Ursan. My, my thing was basically in, in line with you guys, which was to see him play center. I, I think it's, I think like Mitchell, Mitchell touched on a lot of the points I talked to, I, I was thinking of, which were unlocked, trying to unlock the Bucks offense, give them a lot more spacing, um, just provides another shooting option that can allow Giannis the ability to get in there, you know, because sometimes Brooke Lopez will want to operate by the rim. Same with John Henson. Thon maker shouldn't, but he might be down there. Uh, so, you know, at least in this way, it's sort of a foolproof way to be like, yeah, this is a guy who can be on the outside and be a credible threat. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, final, I guess the only final two thoughts I have is um, I think it'll be interesting seeing how he works with whoever the backup big is, assuming that Ursan is probably going to be playing mostly sub minutes at, as a forward and then the occasional small ball center minutes as well. But if he's a guy who's out there with like Thon maker, who is not run on for his rebounding, for example, is he able to kind of make up for that? And then how do those two guys who are both, you know, kind of space bigs, at least yeah. in theory for Thon, how does that a, work? I have a terrible feeling in the pit of my stomach about the idea of a, an Ursan Thon front court. I just like rebounding aside, like Thon's instincts have historically been so poor and Ursan like, Ursan's getting up there in years, so he's got decent instincts, but he's only got so much to work with. Like that, those two together sounds like they would hemorrhage points. Just thinking about it off the top of my head. So hopefully, do the thing I said, not the thing that we just said now, because that sounds terrible. Yeah, I'm gonna edit that out, Riley. <laughs> Fine, but the only other thought I have is if we could make your step back jumper like half a second quicker. That would be so <laughs> valuable for this team. That's all yes. I have to say. Agreed. I mean, the best part is, though, is that Giannis has that step-back jumper, too, now. It's just weird how Ursan is, like, on his step-back, he's so wooden in the air. Like, he he's, like, like you could just blow him over, and he'd be, like a, like, a frozen golem. I don't know how he does that. But, yeah, I'd like it to be quicker as well. All right, let's go to the other new arrival, Brooke Lopez. Uh, Mitchell, what do you want out of Brooke Lopez this year? Uh, I think you already mentioned his minutes per game at 24, and that's yeah. why I want I want him to max out at 24 minutes a game. Um, his movement, his mobility, just is, has never been there. That's not the kind of player he is. He's a mountain of a human. You know, he's a massive, massive big man in a league where there are only a few massive big men left. So, I want him to try and be what Greg Monroe was supposed to be three years ago. I want him to really focus on being an effective scorer, stretching the floor, which he's just started to show the last two years. Um, and whatever whatever boost he can bring to the defensive rebound rates is sorely needed on this team, which the uh, the infamous Jason Kidd once quipped, uh, oh, we don't have to worry about it because we don't rebound. Um, his whatever Whatever magical aura he carries with him that increases his team's chances of corralling loose rebounds on defense would be huge. Um, he's he's a guy kind of similar to Urson in that we we generally know what we should expect from him statistically, so we don't need to really dive into what uh, what he gains he needs to make on the stat sheet. But I don't want him playing anymore in 24 minutes a game because I really value mobility from the center position, but I also value shooting. And he at this point, you know, depending on how Thon does, but he's probably the best 
shooter out of all the centers, right? Like, I would even put him on a similar level, maybe not, not in terms of attempts, but in terms of accuracy. Like, he's on a similar level as Urson as a shooter. So if he, if he can have that, that trailer three in his pockets or he can work the pick-and-pop game as well as making people pay on the block when they try to defend him on post-ups, not that I want to you know, feed him a steady diet of post-ups because it's not exactly modern basketball, but there's a place for that. There's a time and a place for that. And I want to see him just you know, stay available and do what he can for literally half of every game. Yeah, piggybacking off that, just some stats before I send it over to Riley. 34.6 on 5.2 attempts in 2016-17 for Brook Lopez. 34.5% with the Lakers last year on 4.4 attempts per game. So, yeah, I mean, a relatively good percentage. You know, most people know those stats. So we'll have to see what he can contribute this year. But, Riley, what do you what do you want out of Brook? I would say, so it's actually, obviously, it's been hashed over a million times how crazy the shift of, like, shot selection for Brook has been over, the, like, the past three, four seasons. Uh, last year, he had 41, about 41% of his shots were three-pointers. I think if you could... I'm not sure if it needs to increase any further past that because that's a lot of three point shots for, you know, a seven plus footer to be taking. But I think ideally if he can offer that option of like Mitchell was saying, a trailer three or the occasional bailout three, depending on how the offense is running, but also he's still a gigantic guy who can be there as a sort of a bailout option underneath the basket. Um, part of the, beauty of Brook is that he'll be able to space the floor. Whereas for Giannis, especially, whereas in the past, John Henson would be down there and, you know, waiting to take some sort of, you know, lefty hook shot. Whereas I think Brook, while he doesn't really have the speed or nimbleness to be able to kind of move with Giannis to be an off ball option. If he could take the, an equivalent number of threes and then also kind of stand there as a pressure release valve for guys who are diving towards the basket, that would be ideal. He doesn't really have to do a lot to be honest, like, and it, I think last year his total re- or per game rebounding was only four, I believe you said. So if you can get that slightly higher, that would be awesome. But maybe, uh, like we were saying, the magic of Brooke Lopez will just increase the rebounding numbers no matter what. Yeah, raw figures just four rebounds a game last year with the Lakers. But obviously some of that is due to him stretching out the floor a little bit. Oh, one, one more point. And uh, ideally, if he could allow the offense or rebounds to kind of fall in Giannis's lap and let Giannis just go with the ball. If he's able to do that consistently and that just unlocks that part of the offense a lot more, I think that would be a gigantic plus for the team. Yeah. Um, Mitchell was talking earlier about him being Greg Monroe. And I, th- I think it's an, in- it's an interesting comparison because uh, Greg Monroe obviously brought a different element. He wanted to bring the, the down post scorer who could get his buckets when we need them. Whereas Brooke Lopez is the complete opposite. He's going to help unlock the offense a little more by working around the perimeter. But, you know, the thing that scares me about Brooke Lopez is his defensive ability. I mean, he's never been known as a, a stalwart athletic guy who can work around uh, the paint in any sort of definitive way and, and deter shot, deter shots in, in a super meaningful way. If you just look at his defensive RPM last year, he was, you know, say what you will about the stat, but it's, he was ranked 67th out of 79 centers. Um, Nine spots above Thon, which is a good sign. Oh, I guess. oh, oh, oh. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so, so he was like, so he was just above, just above neutral. So he was 0.09 in defensive RPM. So say what you will about that stat, but the Lakers were relatively good on defense last year, 13th by defensive rating, according to NBA.com. So, you know, it's not like Brooke Lopez was the huge part of that, but because I, I guess for me, the thing I'm looking at going into this season most probably I'm probably putting the biggest microscope on, on the defense defense to see if that improves because I mean, our offense was, has been top 10, you know, the last two years, even with Jason kids, poopy offense. And I think there's a lot of low hanging fruit there and bud will optimize it in a lot of meaningful ways. But I think the defense has probably the most potential to improve in a way that could make Milwaukee actually make the leap that they're looking for. And I'm afraid Brooke Lopez is going to be the leaky faucet at the bottom. So I'm hoping for me to have a successful season for him, I think he's going to do the same stuff he's always done on offense that he's done the last two years, but I would like him to be an average, average center and on defense. Yeah, that's fair. I think that's fair. You have to be able to, like, I want him to be able to play 
24 minutes and make a lot of contributions on offense, but he has to justify that with passable defense. And mm-hmm. I know his block numbers are historically pretty good because he's, you know, he's tall, he's long, he's got decent instincts, um, but he's super slow. He's slow footed and you know, that's fine. That's he's a uh, 275 pounds. So he's going to not be quite as quick as Thon. Um, but yeah, if he, if he can justify staying on the floor with that passable defense, that'll be a huge, huge boon. I'm very fascinated to see what, Budenholzer does with him. All right. Well, let's touch just super quickly on Tyler Zeller. If Tyler Zeller happens to make the roster this year, what what is something that you guys hope to see out of him? Man, I don't even know. Like, if he <laughs> makes the team, like that's a good you know, kind of along the the John Henson line. Like, if he makes the team, that's by itself a good year on his non guaranteed deal. Um, but that being said, like he is pretty reliable. Like it's. It's not the highest floor in the world, but you know what you're getting. He does a lot of the little things. Uh, I recall that uh, that Eric Name wrote an article that was focusing on Tyler Zeller and trying to figure out what that special sauce was that he had, and, like how he kept staying relevant in the NBA as the NBA grew smaller and smaller and valued different things than he as a very conventional center offers. Uh, we never did find out what that secret was, but we know that there is something. So he's going to keep doing that thing. Um, what would be nice, maybe not even as a good year, but it should be a great year for him if he makes the if he makes the roster. If he can show off a little bit more of that corner three that he flirted with in Brooklyn, uh, he didn't shoot a ton of them, and you know he only shot them okay. But that's something that would be nice. Um, I if you replaced Tyler Zeller with one of the other non guaranteed options like Shabazz Muhammad or Christian Wood, like I wouldn't feel remarkably different about the team. Um, so yeah, I guess he's just going to make the team and that's good enough for him and good enough for me. And you mentioned Brooklyn, of course, he played under Kenny Atkinson, a former disciple of Budenholzer in Atlanta. So maybe they're talking just a little bit about what Zeller could maybe offer. Uh, if you didn't like what he was seeing under Jason Kidd last year, you expecting anything out of Zeller this year, Riley? I would agree with Mitchell's take that, uh, getting on the roster, uh, is a huge plus for him. And then after that, I could definitely see a world where if he makes the initial cutoff, which is probably going to be more so just like front office weighing, you know, whether or not they want to ride with Thon and John as like the two backup bigs. But he does, like we're saying the little things, but he's just like a, a very average but very workable center. And we saw it in a couple of games where he featured uh, alongside a lot of the starting units for short stretch last, short, short stretch last season. Thank, excuse me. Um, but he's a very competent pro and he seems to pick up on his role in the offense pretty easily. So if he's able to make the roster, he's not going to get, I I can't imagine him getting crazy minutes, but he could probably work his way into like somewhat regular, like end of the, not end of the bench, but like third center minutes, maybe even second center, depending on if John Henson is, you know, just kind of loafing around and Thon is a complete bust. So I think, make the roster first and then make your way into regular rotation match, which probably isn't the craziest situation or possibility in the world. Yeah, I can see, I can foresee a uh, mid January, early February stretch where Tyler Zeller overtakes Thon and John Henson. And we sort of get our, our stretch of, of Zeller playing competent play. And then we all sort of realize that he's just kind of what it is. And if he happens to make the roster and then we all sit into the doldrums and wait hey. for all all good things must come to an end that's true very true all right and we are back with uh intrepid brew hoop reporter gabe stoltz he heads to all the bucks games for us he's making his brew hoop podcast debut uh gabe how are you doing i know you just um just had a rowdy night last night breaking in the fiserv forum yeah it was a great time the Milwaukee's own Violent Femmes opened uh, up the Fiserv with the, a show of their own. And then right after that, the Killers tested the foundation, uh, <laughs> playing as literally the, uh, their lead man, Brandon Flowers, said. <laughs> they were gonna, he didn't want to blow the roof off, but wanted to test the foundation. And it held up great. Um, yeah, it was a surreal experience. and. Uh, just from a concert venue, and I can only imagine what it's going to be like uh, during Bucks games in the future. 
Yeah, I was going to say. And so the reason the reason we really wanted to have you on is because you're for anyone who hasn't been able to get to the Pfizer yet, like me, sadly, uh, we wanted like your hands on impressions. You were there for the block party. You obviously went there for the concert last night. So let's just start with what you think stands out most um, in contrast to the Bradley old Bradley Center, whether it was um, it's just the new design, whether it's the uh, not having everything look like old world 80s concrete. Uh, what to you has been like the was the most exciting part? Yeah, the concrete, <laughs> missing the concrete <laughs> is definitely uh, something that you'll notice right away. You don't feel like you're in a prison cell or anything <laughs> like that. Canned, like, uh, sardines all smushed together in the concourses. It's really open. Um, that's the first thing you notice, especially if you come in, um, say, from the east side and into the main atrium. Uh, it's just, if, if you've ever been in Lambeau Field, and that atrium, that's what it sort of uh, resembles. Oh, wow. Tightness of uh, the escalators sprawling up um, both on both sides of you. And I think it's either three or, uh, three or four floors that you can see up. And it's just all white, too. And it just stands out incredibly. And it liter that's literally the first thing that made my jaw drop is just the sheer size of that atrium and this is the main atrium that is going to be connected to the entertainment plaza which will be connected to old world third street if you're familiar with downtown milwaukee so um it's part of the bucks owners uh visions that they've uh had dancing in their eyes for the last four years or so and uh seeing it come to fruition is just incredible and um be excited if you're a Bucks fan, and it's going to be – it's out of this world. It's Everything about the new arena is just – it's state-of-the-art and um, literally blows the Bradley Center out of the water. It's really incredible. Yeah, that's so awesome about the atrium because I, I, you, I just always remember coming in and there's like that – there's the narrow strip there where like people can go around, but you kind of feel like you're being immediately herded onto like whichever ever steps you have to take because it's not like I ever sat really close to the stage. So it's like you pretty much just have to like be shepherded up the escalators going up to the upper decks or wherever you're going to be sitting. So that's really cool that they've opened it up so much and made it look um, – especially that they've whitewashed it too. I think that's a cool uh, aesthetic choice. Absolutely. And as you go up to your seats, say riding the escalators, um, and you go up the levels of the arena bowl and in that concourse area, it overlooks the entire skyline of Milwaukee. And because that whole side of the building is just sheer glass. And uh, it's some pretty magical views, uh, especially when the sun, sun is setting. You just see the sun hitting all of those skyscrapers. Uh, it's a beautiful site. Um, it's definitely one of my favorite skyline views of Milwaukee, to be honest. Uh, it's right up there with some of the other scenic spots in the city. And uh, for fans to see that on um, every Bucks game is going to be a real special treat. Uh, it's super cool. Yeah, that's. I mean, it seems like a great choice too, considering they have they have the advantage of being downtown, right? So they know they're like smack dab in the middle of the city. So allowing people to be sort of looking out and the fact and and recognize the fact that you're right in the middle of this sprawling uh, sprawling city, it seems like a, a really good use of resources. Exactly. It's not like. Uh, I mean, I obviously love Miller Park, but <clears throat> in terms of location and uh, overall scenery with the city, uh, it definitely has uh, an advantage in that facet and. Uh, all the Bucks fans are going to love it. It's uh, it's a, truly a sight to see, and it's going to be really cool to see all the fans witness it for the first time. So, I mean, obviously there wasn't a game going on when you were walking around for the block party or whatever, but they talked a lot about as you're walking around the concession stands and, and, and just walking around the arena and that kind of stuff, allowing like pretty clear sight lines into the bowl. Um, you know, what were your impressions of that? Did that seem to have come to fruition or was that, are they just kind of, are they talking, talking that up too much? What did you think? No, I think they hit the nail on the head. Um, you can be walking around and still feel as if you're part of the game. It's a lot like at Miller Park, how you can walk around the concourse and still see the action going on. Um, yeah, last night was just a concert with the killers in town. Um, but, uh, when I was, walking around when the violent, just the violent femmes were playing. Uh, the sound was great. The angles were great. You could see everything. Um, and another cool part that I forgot to mention about the whole 
arena is the Panorama Club, which is uh, located at like up in the rafters. Literally, mm -hmm. you, it feels like you can just reach up, reach up, and uh, touch the metalwork that's going sprawling across the court. Um, and the really cool thing that the Bucks have done is that in any other stadium, it feels as if that would be a VIP zone where you'd need a special uh, ticket to get access and uh, where drinks would be double the price and everything. But no, it's open to anybody that has a ticket to the event. So you could be sitting in the nosebleeds on the opposite uh, side of the stadium, but you get access to that Panorama Club. And the views from the court are incredible, or of the court are incredible. And then there's also a ledge that uh, is built into the arena itself, which I'm sure everybody's seen in the um, renderings and all the pictures that have been shared of the completed arena. And that's free as well. You just go out there and it uh, just overlooks the entire skyline. Um, it really is beautiful. Uh, so yeah, there really isn't a bad seat in the house, um, especially with the uh, them flip flopping the seating structure compared to the Bradley Center, where the Bradley Center originally built for hockey, had, for hockey and its sight lines to see the puck had more seats situated in the upper deck rather than mm -hmm. the lower bowl. And uh, my seats for the concert last night were in the upper deck and. Um, that didn't have any impact on the sound or the sight lines or anything like that. It was just perfect all around and uh, everyone around me was enjoying it as well. Uh, it's not as steep as the Bradley center. Upper oh deck God, man. I was always so scared having to go up cause I would usually sit like three rows from the top. I always got freaked out. Yeah. It <laughs> like vertigo and into you, but um, no, it's great seating. Um, they're all cushioned. The seats are very comfortable. Oh. Compared to the like, <laughs> with a, just a like a thin layer of cloth uh, at the Bradley Center on those seats, so they're all cushioned and um, yeah, they're very comfortable. And there's not a bad seat in the house. It's that's yeah. That's I think that's going to be the biggest thing. That's so I'm so glad that they have shifted around, and obviously they've been touting the fact it's it's made purely for basketball for a long time. Now was that I, I remember um, Peter Feigen was talking about the special app that you could just press a button and get a beer delivered to your seat in that Yahoo article a while back. Was that in 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 functioning yet uh, for the Killers concert or not yet? Um, I'm not sure if that was in function, but that would be my only complaint. Was <laughs> the of the alcoholic beverages there um it's very i think it's like 11 dollars for a coors okay it's very overpriced but i mean you'll get that a lot of places you go so if that's the main gripe that i have with the arena so be it <laughs> yeah yeah i think that i mean i think that was, that happens regardless in any sports stadium you know you're walking into a, a trap there yeah. um well so one of the ways of mitigating that of course though is um not that I'm condoning drinking, but you know, you can have some beverages before you go into the game and that kind of stuff. And they've talked a lot about sort of building up the area uh, that, you know, that make you calling it like an entertainment and sports center and building up like the plaza and everything around the stadium. So uh, what, what, what stage of development was, is that in and, and what's that look like in comparison to, you know, the old plaza and stuff in front of the Bradley center? Yeah. Uh, it, the frameworks are going up. Um, yeah. Good city brewing, which is a, a uh, popular microbrewery in Milwaukee is going to be um, making uh, its uh, name known down there and have its own location along with um, some sort of Dave and Buster's sort of-esque <laughs> arcade restaurant style place. I think it's called like Punchbowl Social or something. I guess they, I've never, I'd never heard of it before uh, the Bucks introduced them, but I guess there's all over the North, uh, North America, um, with their restaurants. Um, but yeah, that's going to be great. The, you can see it uh, literally coming up. You can, it's pretty much you like, they have the skeleton of all the buildings created. Um, so you can see uh, how it's going to look. And um, yeah, I don't know when they exactly plan on finishing that. I don't, mm -hmm. yeah, I, that's a good question. I don't know when they're going to do it, but it's, they're definitely on, um, the way to doing so. And it's, uh, 
I don't, I wouldn't see any setbacks. So knock on wood, but that's going to be really cool too. Just the, uh, the entertainment plaza. Um, it's going to give fans access year round to that area and revitalize that area. Even when the bucks aren't playing. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I think that's such a cool addition. Cause it was so hard. I mean, I would usually just, I, cause I was usually coming from out of town. I lived in Madison. So I would just like park and hit up some bars on, on, I think it was water street or whatever, and then just sort of make the schleck over there. But it's nice to have a place like a watering hole that's close by that you could stop at before you heading in. Yeah, absolutely. The fans are going to love it. Um, and, uh, Hopefully those beer prices are a little lower, but <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it's going to be a blast for uh, all the fans that are coming to um, Bucks games and just any event at the arena itself. Well, that's awesome, Gabe. Well, it sounds like rave reviews. Uh, I really appreciate you coming in and uh, going to that block party and going to the Killers concert and being able to report for sad people like me who are out in Philly and haven't been able to see it yet, but I'm looking forward to my first time in. So um, thanks for thanks for giving everyone the lowdown. No problem. Thanks for having me on, Adam. Yeah, and uh, you can give out your your Twitter account too, so people can give you that follow. Because oh, yeah. Gabe will be at Gabe will be at games for us all season long, hopefully too. If you guys want to follow along with my bad tweets, you can <laughs> find me on twitter.com. At, uh, my handle is at Stoltzy three, uh, so my last name plus a Y and the number three. So that's where you can find me and my bad tweets. <laughs> uh, I will, uh, I'll give Gabe's, uh, Gabe's tweets a, a thumbs up. They're not that bad. Um, so thanks again for joining us, Gabe. And uh, that's been, that's been it for this episode of the brew Hoop podcast. Thanks for listening in on the first segment we recorded with Riley and Mitchell and uh, we'll be back again soon. Thanks. of old Milwaukee was a young boy walking